You're listening to audio from Queen City Church. Thank you for joining us. We hope this message will encourage you and offer practical steps for a relationship with God that keeps getting better and better. All right, turn in your Bibles to Romans chapter 16. Romans 16 is where we're going to hang out today. And we are in week number three of a series that we're calling Life Together, where we are talking about the importance and the necessity of community. I want you to know that community is very important and it's very necessary, but let's be honest, let's be real in church today. Just because it is important and just because it is necessary, it doesn't make it easy, especially living in our culture today that is so full of individualism and isolation and as a result, loneliness. But my prayer in this series is that each and every one of us would experience what Dietrich Bonhoeffer said in his book, Life Together, because he said this, let every believer thank God on their knees and declare it's grace, nothing but grace, that we are allowed to live in community with Christian brothers and sisters. We want that to be a reality of your life. We want you to be able to say that. We want you to see the world through that perspective. And I want you to know that our church right now is committed to this more than ever before. And that's why in three very short weeks, we are launching our brand new life groups, which is the new way that we are cultivating what we, and here's our goal. Our goal is that we cultivate what we're calling biblical community. And here's our definition of this. It's a group of people that I'm intentionally following Jesus with. That is our goal with life groups, is to be able to say, each and every one of us, that we could say, man, there's a group of people that I'm committed to, that I'm intentionally following Jesus with. That is what we're trying to do. And I could not be more excited to be, I think it's going to be one of the most significant life-changing things we have ever done as a church. If you want to explore what that means, you can go to our website. We have a lot of information on there about our church. And so you can go and, and read that. But here's what I want you to understand. I want you to get this in this series. Like that, we need this. Like, you need this. You need this in your life. It doesn't matter what stage of life that you're in, how old you are. It doesn't matter what your schedule looks like. It doesn't matter, like, what your relationship status is. It doesn't matter um, your personality type. Like, each and every one of us need this. This isn't a luxury. This is a necessity. So, like, I want to challenge you to not think of this like an optional feature on a new car like leather seats or remote start or heated seats or heated steering wheel. Rather, think of this as oil to the engine. Let me say it this way, that biblical community is not adding a feature to your life. No, the truth is your life won't even run properly unless you have it. Because this is how God created us. He has designed us to be connected. He has hardwired us for community. And so today... I am so excited to share the message that God has given me. It's something I've never preached before. It's in, a, it's in a part of the Bible that I've never preached before. So if you're taking notes, which I hope you are, I wanna talk to you over the next few minutes over this subject. Community, it's work, but it's worth it. That community, it is work. There ain't no doubt about it. I'm not gonna sugarcoat it today. Community is work. But my prayer is that you walk away from today 
and that you know that it's worth it. Community, it's work, but it's worth it. Now, we're going to look at some verses in Romans chapter 16 that I've never preached before, and I would bet that you've never heard a message preached on these verses because it is one of those parts of the Bible with a lot of names. Come on, let's just be honest. Is this church, church should be a safe place to be honest. Come on, how many of you, by show of hands, you skip the parts of the Bible with a lot of names? How many of you just skip those parts? When it comes into your Bible reading plan, it's like, yes, it gets to be a little shorter today. A big old genealogy, I'm out. I'm not doing that. I don't need to know who begat who, you know? How many of you just kind of skip those parts of the Bible? Uh, but today, I'm so full of faith, guys, that God is gonna speak to us. And remind us today that every part of his word is alive and active, even those big old list of names. Okay, so let me, before we read the, the verses today, let me give you just a little bit of context because the book of Romans is actually a letter. And a lot of the books in the New Testament are actually letters. And this is a letter that's written by a guy named Paul, and he was an apostle. And Paul actually wrote 13 of the 27 books of the New Testament in this letter is written to the early church in Rome around 57 AD, which was around 30 years after the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus. And the book of Romans is an incredible book of the Bible. It really is one of my favorite books of the Bible. If you have never read Romans, I highly encourage you to read it ASAP. If you need a Bible, come by the Connect area. We'll even give you a Bible, but you should read that book because it is full of like deep theology and dense doctrine and practical truth. Martin Luther, he actually said this about the book of Romans. He said, this epistle is really the chief part of the New Testament and is truly the purest gospel. It is worthy, not only that every Christian should know it word for word by heart, no big deal. Aren't you glad that I'm your pastor, not him? It's like, I just want you to read it. He's like, no, you should memorize it. Um, have it in your heart. But also that he should occupy himself with it every day as the daily bread of the soul. We can never read it or ponder over it too much. For the more we deal with it, the more precious it becomes and better it tastes. Dr. Tony Evans, who's a pastor that I love so much, he says that Romans is the grandest presentation of Christian doctrine found anywhere in scripture. 17th century English Puritan Thomas Drax, he says that Romans is the quintessence and perfection of saving doctrine. I don't even know what that means, but that sounds so cool. <laughs> sounds important. And then finally, Middle Tennessee educated pastor in Cincinnati, Brian Cromer, it just puts it this way. Romans is awesome. It's just awesome. It's just awesome. <laughs> it's just awesome. I, I can't use those big words. It's just, it's just awesome. And after all, like so many chapters of beefy theology and practical truth, this is how Paul ends his letters. Buckle up. We're going to read some verses that makes me extremely insecure to read in public, but give me grace. I'm going to do my very best with all these names. You ready? This is how the book of Romans ends. Romans chapter 16, verse 1. I commend to you our sister Phoebe, a deacon in the church in Centrea. 
I ask you to receive her in the Lord in a way worthy of his people and to give her any help she may need from you. For she has been the benefactor of many people, including me. Greet Priscilla and Aquila, like a power couple in the New Testament. My co-workers in Christ Jesus, they risked their lives for me. Not only I, but all the churches of the Gentiles are grateful to them. Greet also the church that meets at their house. Greet my dear friend Epinetus, who was the first convert to Christ in the province of Asia. How cool is that? Like first person ever in Asia to give their life to Jesus. That person, it's recorded there in scripture. And then in verse six, he says, greet Mary, who worked very hard for you. Greet Andronicus and Junia, my fellow Jews who have been in prison with me. They are outstanding among the apostles and they were in Christ before I was. They're OGs. They followed Jesus way before I did. Greet Ampliatus, my dear friend in the Lord. Greet Urbanus, our coworker in Christ. And my dear friend, good old Stachys. Greet Apelles, whose fidelity to Christ has stood the test. Greet those who belong to the household of Aristobulus. Greet Herodian, my fellow Jew. Greet those in the household of Narcissus who are in the Lord. Greet Tryphena and Tryphosa. Gotta be twin sisters. Got to. <laughs> Got to with those names. Those women who work hard in the Lord. Greet my dear friend Persis, another woman who has worked very hard in the Lord. Greet Rufus, chosen in the Lord. And by the way, a little fun fact. Most scholars believe that this was the same Rufus that was mentioned in Mark chapter 15, verse 21, who was the son of Simon of Cyrene, who was the man that when Jesus got tired carrying the cross and he couldn't carry it anymore, Simon was pulled out of the crowd to be able to carry the cross of Jesus. And it mentions that he has two sons. And one of the sons named is Rufus. Many scholars believe this is the same one. 30 years later, still following Jesus. 30 years later, still impacted by that moment where he saw Jesus carrying the cross. Now leading in this church in Rome. It says, he was there, so greet him. He's chosen in the Lord. And his mother, who has been a mother to me too. Then he just starts rattling off a bunch of names. Greet Asyncritus, Phlagon, Hermes, Patrobos, Hermas, not to be confused with Hermes, and the other brothers and sisters with them, greet Philologus, Julia, Nareus, and uh, I love this humanity moment by Paul. He's just rattling off names. He's like, ah, oh, Nareus, and I'm, I'm kind of blanking on her name. I'll oh, forget it. His sister. <laughs> Isn't that awesome? Come on, how many of you relate to that? It's like, oh, I forgot her name, but sister, sister. And Olympus. And all the Lord's people who are there, greet one another with a holy kiss. All the churches of Christ send greeting. And then what happens when you keep reading, everyone around Paul that, that just joins him and starts shouting people out. So Timothy's around him, and it says in verse 21, Timothy, my coworker, he sends his greetings to you, as do Lucius, Jason, and Sosipater, my fellow Jews. And then I, Tertius... 
who, who wrote down this letter greets you in the Lord. Now, that was a very common practice back in the day where somebody would just be audibly talking and somebody is actually writing down the words. So the, so the letter is from Paul, but this is the guy that actually wrote it down. So kind of my, my I'm going to ask him in heaven. I don't think Paul knew that was in there. Like all these people just start shouting out and Paul's like, yes, him, 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 do that. He's like, I'm just going to add there. I'm just going to say hi to everybody. And so he says hi to everybody. And then in verse 23, it says that, that, that Gaius, whose hospitality I and the whole church here enjoy, he sends you his greetings. And then Erastus, who is the city's director of public works, and our brother Quartus, he also sends you their greetings. And then he ends this whole letter this way in verse 25. Now to him who is able to establish you in accordance with my gospel, the message I proclaim about Jesus Christ in keeping with the revelation of the mystery hidden for long ages past, but now revealed and made known through the prophetic writings by the command of the eternal God so that all the Gentiles might come to the obedience that comes from faith to the only wise God be glory forever through Jesus Christ. And everybody said a loud amen. I made it. I made it all the way through right there. Is it your spirit stirred uh, just right now? I know what you're thinking. What you thinking? We can just shut it down right now and just jump straight into response time. We can just pray and just get on with their day. Our spirits are so filled up right now uh, from those names. But this is how the Apostle Paul ends the book of Romans. This is how he ends the book that is described as the quintessence and perfection of saving doctrine. He doesn't end it with his greatest, strongest, deepest theological mic drop. He ends it with, hey, say what's up to Urbanus and Philologus. Like, shout out to Trifena and Trifosa. Hey, my guy Sosipater says hi. Like, that is how he ends this book. And at first glance... It's kind of a weird way to end arguably the most theologically beefy book of the Bible. It's just kind of like, what's that about? But I think today we can learn something from these verses. Because I think that these verses point to the depth of community that was in this church. Like these weren't just people who just casually knew each other. This wasn't just people who just showed up together at the same building and just worshiped. Now, these were people who were deeply connected. These were people like, who were living life together in deep community. So in a book of deep theology, Paul finishes it by showing us a very important principle that I think we need to understand today. He shows us that deep theology should always lead us to deep community. Let me say it this way, that the more that you understand the character and the nature of God, the more you understand who Jesus is, the more you understand the truth of the gospel, the more you read and understand the Bible and theology, the more that that should lead you into it deeper and deeper and deeper into community with other believers. Eugene Peterson, who actually wrote the paraphrase of the translation of the Bible we call the message, he says that there can be no maturity in the spiritual life. You want to be deep spiritually? He says you can't even be mature. There's no obedience in following Jesus, no wholeness in the Christian life apart from 
and an immersion in an embrace of community. I am not myself by myself. And let me look you in the eyes, church, and tell you that you are not yourself by yourself. Because it, God made us for community. And I believe this is on full display in these verses in Romans chapter 16. So the question is, what can we today in 2024 in Cincinnati, Ohio, what can we learn from this church that's in the book of Romans? And when I see through those verses that we read and as I study through it, I found three things that defined that church that I'm telling you as the pastor of this church, I want these three things to define our church. And here's the first one. I see through those, I see intimacy. That when you look through those verses, it's so obvious that all these people are so close. In the first 16 verses alone, Paul shouts out 27 people by name. And that's not even counting that, that one girl. He just, I, I forgot her name. But 27 people, he knows them by name. But not only does he know their name, he also knows their stories. Read through it again. He knew the details of their lives. He knew their families. He knew their hard work. He knew their effort. He knew the difference that they were making in the kingdom of God. With some of them, you could tell that he had so many shared experiences with them. He did ministry with some of them. He went to prison with some of them. And some of them had become like family to him. In verse 13, it says that Rufus's mom was like a mom to him. That's what I call spiritual family. Like that's more than just friendship. Like this is, they're my family now. And you see that. But think about this. Think about this. Those relationships weren't always like that. Like they weren't always that close. Like it took time to achieve that level of intimacy. There's no way that he had that type of intimacy, that type of relationship overnight. There's no way it was instant. And if you think about it, all those relationships started with an introduction. Like it started at some point with somebody saying, hey, this is my friend Paul. You wanna meet him? Or Paul had the courage to go up and say, hey, what's up, my name is Paul, what's your name? And here's what I want you to see. I want you to see that in this, that intimacy is initiated through an introduction. Think about it. I want you to think about this. Intimacy is initiated. It starts with an introduction. And if you think about it, every close relationship you've ever had starts, started with you meeting them. Everyone. It started with you meeting them at some point. And the truth is, you'll never be close to someone you never meet. Like intimacy will always start with an introduction. In fact, let me give you a little life math. Here's a little life math. An introduction plus pushing through the awkward plus time equals intimacy. That's life math. That is true. You see it. An introduction, meeting someone, plus what I call pushing through the awkward and every single new relationship you've ever had, even the ones that are super close now, started awkward. You have to push through the awkward, plus time. 
That's when you stick around through the good, the bad, and the ugly. That's when you don't bounce when it gets hard. That's when you stay committed when you experience conflict. That's when you don't write them off when they make a mistake, when you don't give up on them the moment they do something that annoys you or the moment they do something that hurts your feelings. Time. Stick with it. Time. You put those three things together, and that leads to intimacy. And let's be honest, that's not easy. That takes work, but it's worth it. So here's my practical challenge to you today, church. After service, don't rush out. Stick around the lobby, and I want to encourage you to meet at least one person. Like, introduce yourself to at least one person. Learn someone's name, even if it's really hard for you to learn someone's name. Learn it, try to remember it, and more than that, man, learn somebody's story. And by the way, I am fully convinced, heart and soul, that we need the lobby just as much as we need this auditorium. And that's why I think you should be at church in person every single week that you can. I I am so grateful for technology. I'm so grateful that now we have the ability to be able to to reach people online or people to jump into our service. And some of you even found our service online and it's a way to kind of peek through the window and see what's happening. I'm so thankful that when you're sick or when you're traveling or when you're on vacation, you can still be connected with what's happening in here. But I want you to know as the pastor of the church who made the decision to actually have this in our church, that's not designed to be your full church experience. Because I'm telling you, you need the lobby just as much as you need the service. Because you need to meet new people. You need to be the one that makes sure that somebody new feels welcome. Like you need some hugs and some high fives. You need someone looking you in the eyes and asking you, how are you really doing? So I challenge you today, today, meet at least one person before you leave today. That's what I ask. But when you look at this church, you will see that there is a level of intimacy that is there. Here's the second thing I see. I see diversity. I see diversity. And this is fascinating. When you study all the verses that we just read, and when you study the people that are mentioned in these verses, you see such a wide variety of people. Like there was diversity of gender. There was men and women. There was diversity of economic class. There was rich and there was poor. There was diversity of social status. Like there were people that were famous and well-known and there was people in there that was completely anonymous. There, were, there, were, there was upfront leaders and there was behind the scenes servants. And there was diversity of ethnicity, race, and culture. You see that there was Jews mentioned. There was Gentiles mentioned. There was diversity of age. There was young and old. And by the way, let me just jump on a soapbox real quick. I believe that every single healthy church has at least three generations represented. Because read throughout the Bible, God is a generational God. In the Old Testament, God, he refers to himself as the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. I am the God of generations. I read this in my quiet time yesterday in the book of Exodus. Exodus chapter three, go read it sometime today. God himself says, you wanna know who I am? I'm the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. I am a generational God. And one of the, one of the uh, comments, uh, that's a nice way for me to say it. One of the observations that I hear a lot about our church is that people will say, this church is so young. 
And I just want to look you all, no matter what your age is, in the eyes, and I want you to know that we've never wanted to be a church of all young people. Now, we have always had an assignment from day one to further the church in the city of Cincinnati to the next generation, always, because there's going to be a day where we're not here. And there's going to be a day where the next generation is going to have to carry the torch of the church and to be able to lead it in hopefully in a better way than what we have. So we have an assignment, a mission by God to make sure that we're doing that. But we've always wanted to be a multi-generational church with every single generation represented in the room. So if you are here and you are over the age of 45, one, you are not old. Just I want you to tell you that. If you're over the age of 45, if you're in the Gen X generation, if you're in the baby boomer generation, lean in and please hear me just for a moment. You are welcome here. More than that, you are wanted here. And even more importantly, you are needed here. Like there's room for you at our church. There's purpose for you, incredible purpose for you in our church. Like we need your wisdom We need your experience. We need your perspective. We need your leadership. We need your maturity. Like I have younger people come up to me all the time asking for mentors, like craving relationships with people who are further down the road than they are. I literally had two people this week come up to me and this motivated me to put this in the message. I had two people come up to me this week and say, will you please introduce me to somebody who is further down the road than I am? Listen loud and clear, hear me. Our church needs spiritual mothers and fathers. Our church needs spiritual grandmothers and grandfathers. Yes, you may be in a room where you may not be the majority demographic. But to be the church that he is calling us to be, we need you in the room. And the truth is, the longer that you stay, the more other people in your stage will stay because they see you staying. We need you, we need you, we need you. If anybody that is under the age of 45 would agree with me, could you say amen right there? Like, we need you, we need you, we need you. So when we look at this church in Romans 16, we see tremendous diversity. And from the very beginning of our church, we've always wanted to be, we've always wanted that to be one of the defining characteristics of our church. From day one, we have prayed and begged God that we would be a bridge-building church following the example of the ultimate bridge-builder, Jesus Christ. From day one, We have prayed that we would be a healthy, diverse, multi-ethnic, multi-generational church that looks like heaven. And Revelation chapter 7 actually paints a picture of what heaven is like, starting in verse 9. And he says, this is what he saw when he saw heaven. After this, I saw a vast crowd, too great to count, from every nation and tribe and people and language, standing in front of the throne and before the Lamb, King Jesus And they were shouting with a great war. Salvation comes from our God who sits on the throne and from the Lamb. I'm telling you, if you don't like diversity, you're going to hate heaven. But that's what I want our church to look like. That's what we prayed for our church to look like from day one. But it's not easy. And it's definitely not normal. That's going to take work. But listen, But it's worth it. 
So when you look at this church, in Romans chapter 16, there was intimacy, there was diversity, and then number three, there was unity. You see it, it's so clear. You see unity. And the truth is, you can have diversity and not have unity. But this church in in Romans, in the book of Romans, this church in Rome, it had both, diversity and unity. And by the way, that is my favorite definition ever of church. My favorite definition of church is this, it's unity in diversity. You know what church is, it's that. It is unity in diversity. And just to be clear, we are talking about unity, not uniformity. We are not talking about all looking the same, sounding the same, acting the same, or fitting a certain mold. No, we're talking about the church being defined as unity and diversity. And we see this all throughout the Bible. Jesus, before he went to the cross, prayed for this in John chapter 17, starting in verse 21. This is Jesus praying, and he says, I pray that they will all be one. Just as you and I are one, as you are in me, Father, and I am in you. May they experience such perfect unity that the world will know that you have sent me and that you love them as much as you love me. Listen, our unity can be a witness to the world. And then in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 10, Paul writes to another church, and he says, I appeal to you, I beg you, dear brothers and sisters, by the authority of our Lord Jesus Christ to live in harmony with each other. Let there be no divisions in the church. Rather, be of one mind, united in thought and purpose. And then in Psalm 133, verse one and verse three, says how good and pleasant it is when God's people live together in unity. For there, where that is happening, where unity exists, the Lord bestows his blessing even life forevermore. In other words, that unity, guys, it commands a blessing, and I don't know about you, but I want my life to be blessed. I want my family to be blessed. I want my marriage to be blessed. I want my friendships to be blessed. I want our church to be blessed, and that only happens when we are united. And that's why one of our 10 values as a church, this really is our spiritual DNA. It's what makes us uniquely us. One of our 10 values is unity is our pursuit. And we phrase it that way very intentionally because unity always has to be pursued. Unity is always uphill. Let me say it this way. We will never accidentally drift to unity. But if Jesus prayed for it, we're gonna pursue it. This is who God has called us to be as a church. And this is what the church in Romans chapter 16 experienced. They were united. But here's my big question as we close today. What united them? What brought them together? What brought such special unity to that church in Romans chapter 16? I encourage you to do this today. At some point, go back and read that chapter again. Because when you read through those verses, you will see the phrase, in Christ or in the Lord 10 different times. 10 different times you will see Paul write in Christ or in the Lord. In other words, their unity was found in the fact that they were all followers of Jesus, that they were all in Christ, that they were all in the Lord. And that is what united the early church. And for us, to be the church that God is calling us to be, that 
is what needs to unite us today. Listen, we are not united by our backgrounds, our experiences, our nationalities, our ethnicity, our age, our stage of life, our gender, our relationship status, our careers, our economic status, our education, our alma mater, what side of town we live on, which high school we went to, which side of the river we live on, our, our alma mater, our sports team, our political party, our views on hot topic cultural issues, our hobbies, our shared interests. If those things have to be aligned for us to experience unity, which is the message that culture is trying to jam down our throats. For all those things to be aligned for us to experience unity, the truth is we will never be united. And by the way, let me make this clear. I'm not saying that those things don't matter. I'm not saying that those things aren't important. What I am saying is that those identifiers, let me say it this way, that those names should always be below the name of Jesus. And in Galatians chapter three, verse 28, I think Paul beautifully articulates this because he says there's no longer Jew or Gentile, slave or free, male and female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. Hear me loud and clear. The church Jesus paid for is united under only one name. So as long as I'm leading this church, we will pursue unity under one name. The name like we read earlier in the worship set, the name that is above every other name, the name at which every knee will bow and every tongue will confess, the alpha and the omega, the beginning and the end, the first and the last, the King of kings, the Lord of lords, our Lord, our Savior, and our King, Jesus Christ. That name is above every other name. Intimacy, diversity, and unity. Let's be honest. None of those things are easy. None of them. Intimacy is not easy. Diversity is not easy. Unity, it definitely is not easy. None of those things are easy. None of those will come naturally. Every single one of those things are uphill. We will never accidentally stumble into a community and a church that looks like that. It takes intentionality, commitment, resolve, determination, endurance, forgiveness when people don't get it right, which is gonna happen. Grace when people make mistakes, which people will. Understand that it won't, understanding that it won't always be perfect and it won't because people are involved and people are not perfect. It's gonna take realistic expectations that it will sometimes be a little messy. Church, there is no way around it. Community, it's work. But say it with me, it's work. If there's anything in your life that we can pray for, please visit queencitypeople.com slash prayer. For the latest updates on our church, follow us on social media at queencitypeople or visit queencitypeople.com.